Hey everyone, it's Max with Lenadler, a worker owner at Hellgate, and we're back with the second of two special episodes of the Hellgate podcast. What have we been talking about? The Eric Adams Table of Success, an interactive feature that Hellgate just released with the help of Type Investigations. So if you haven't listened to episode one, I'm going to urge you to go back, listen to that one, because this conversation we're having, it basically begins right in the middle. We are right now talking about Eric Adams's nightlife and what he does, um, who he sees, who he hangs out with, things of that nature. So again, if you have not seen the table of success yet, check us out at www.hellgatenyc.com. Look at the table of success and then listen to these episodes. So sit back, rejoin the conversation, look around and realize that your haters have indeed become your waiters. All right, welcome back. Uh, We're still talking about Eric Adams' nightlife here. Uh, The people that have kind of uh, fascinated folks for a little bit now are Robert and Zahn Protrosians, who own Eric Adams's uh, favorite restaurant. Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Petrosians? I love these twins. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's it's amazing that they're twins. I have to say one of two sets of partial sets of twins on the table. Our police commissioner, Edward Caban, also a twin. What does it mean? You know, um, but basically the Petrosians are restaurant guys about town who love hanging out with Eric Adams. They actually own their own Fort Lee, New Jersey properties uh, near the mayor, which is like, what's up with this town? Is it like so amazing that everybody wants to live there? I don't know. Eric Adams has mentored these brothers since I think he was a state senator. He met them um, when they still had this like very popping uh, brunch spot called Woodland. But while they owned, and that's where I think we just mentioned Jordan Coleman briefly worked with them, which is like, that's a classic scenario. Um, They've had to field a lot of allegations over their career. They uh, had to close a different restaurant, a pizza restaurant over um, unpaid taxes. They funded that restaurant. Um, A bunch of people have accused them of, you know, unpaid debts for, investments in restaurants that never materialized. Uh, They have some questionable alcohol sales on their record at some kind of hot dog restaurant. And they have been convicted. uh, They have felony convictions for a check cashing scheme that involved um, creating firms in the names of foreign exchange students and then filing fake medical claims with uh, auto insurers. So they have quite the resume, but Eric Adams has said that he likes to keep his circle full of perfectly imperfect people. And, you know, just because people have done bad things doesn't mean they can't be his friend. And I respect that. Eric Adams uses used Woodland as like a place to gather with politically connected people um, in the same way that he now uses Osiria Labaya. Like he uses their restaurants as like a home base for, uh, you know, wheeling and dealing uh so it's a little rich for him to be like, oh yeah, I'm, these are these are my mentees, <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, yeah, right. His like special yeah. table that he'll take over and go to, like this. The table of success is at is at a Pedrosian's restaurant. Yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, that when the Times followed him around in 2022, they noted that Adams visited Osteria Labaya, which is their sort of flagship restaurant in Midtown, 14 times. <laughs> in one month, 
um, that's a lot of that's a lot of times. Fourteen times is is a lot of um, yeah. And I, Robert I went to went to Latin America with him when Eric Adams went on you know his Latin American field trip to like talk to uh, <laughs> heads of state about uh, you know asylum seekers in New York. Robert was just there. They're just like around him. For I think like- it was it was actually Johnny. Oh, he's shit. a little bit. My he's bad. closer to Johnny. But, but it was it was like a little sinister. They were like, oh, they just happened to be in Mexico City at the same time and bumped into each other. Which is like, if you bump into anybody in a foreign country that you know, like kind of like happenstance wise, like I mean mm, that that literally happened two people down in a different foreign country which we can talk about in a second, right. but right. Exactly. Like, I don't know if that happened by accident. Um, all right. Another the jet setting crowd, you know? Yeah. They're just, there's only so many people in this world. So another cool hangout of Eric Adams is zero bond. We know it. We love it. Um, members only club in Soho owned by Scott Sartiano. Chris, what, what's up with these guys? Noho, technically. Yeah, thank you, Adlin. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you. you're absolutely right. I, I fucked Fact up checkers That's flag funny. that. It's NoHo. Uh, we're above Houston here. You're absolutely the address, right. The address is Zero Bond, which is on Bond Street. Um, it's an old Brooks Brothers. And this nightlife impresario, Scott Sartiano, uh, decided that private clubs were a thing. Um, he used to run that club, One Oak, uh, which was f- immortalized in a Jay-Z lyric. Um, you know, the type of nightclub it's like, you know, 2010, you're waiting in line with like 300 other people, everyone's blind drunk, um, and screaming. And then you get inside and everything costs $80 and a bottle of absolute is $400 and it's the greatest night of your life. Um, so (laughs) yeah, so, so, so Scott Sartiano opens zero bond. Initially it was reported that the mayor is coming into zero bond as a guest of ron tarosian who's this like pr character who has ties to trump world and he's his own sort of um you you could go down the ron tarosian like black hole if you want uh but it's again like the mayor keeps going there he throws his election night party at zero bond where jordan coleman is there um like the i believe the petrosians are there a lot of people who sit at the table of success were at the zero bond party. Um, Scott Sartiano takes the mic, introduces the mayor as like someone who's like right for the job. Um, he's the best, I believe is what he says about Eric Adams. And yeah, Adams keeps showing up to this private club at all hours. Um, this was reported in the New York times. You know, the mayor has said over and over again that he pays his own way and, and, you know, but he hasn't provided, any sort of receipts uh, proving that um, it's not always true that he pays his own way as Hellgate found when we were, you know, doing reporting on the table of success that in fact, in July of 2022, uh, Eric Adams threw a cocktail party to try and woo members of the DNC selection committee to choose New York as its, um, you know, convention destination and Eric Adams threw a party with like some old New York Knicks stars and DNC committee members. And it cost like six G's, which is a bargain really when you think about it. Um, and, and that, that tab was paid by New York city's official tourism agency. Uh, no city money was used city hall. 
insists. So everything is fine. The mayor just gets to have parties at private clubs to promote New York City when he needs to do that. We should also mention that we are currently suing uh, City Hall for messages between Eric Adams and Scott Sartiano, especially centered on basically this uh, veto, the first ever mayoral veto used by Eric Adams, the first one in like, I believe, like several years, which saved Scott Sartiano like thousands of dollars on a apartment conversion that should be for artist housing. Uh, so stay tuned to Hellgate. We're still trying to get to the bottom of that one. And uh, our lawsuit continues. All right. Speaking of somebody who hangs out at Zero Bond, uh, somebody who hangs out with Eric Adams a lot. This brings us to Eleonora Srugo. Katie, who is Miss Srugo? What did you find out about her? And why is she so, so interesting? Yeah, so Eleonora is a real estate agent at Douglas Elliman. Uh, she sells, mostly sells sometimes rents, you know, these big, ritzy luxury apartments and lives just this like super jet setty, like whatever it girl lifestyle. She's always, she's doing a ton of international travel. She's always posting glamorous party photos, vacation photos, but she's also like a real New York born and bred hustler, like grind never stops girl, you know, she's, and she posts up a storm. And one of the things she posts about a lot which is like must be a very funny special interest to all of her party friends is New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who she hangs out with all the time. So like they went to a Drake concert together. They're constantly like on nights out together. When he looked super haggard, when uh, there was all that flooding back in September, she was at his birthday fundraiser with him. He went to her birthday party right before declaring a state of emergency over you know the migrant situation in the city. They are tight um and i i love her i think she's a real i think she's a real character um i admire her networking ability and i'm really angling for a for a q a with her after the holiday season is over so do you think do you think she would be a suitable replacement for any of the real housewives that since you know it it seems to be like well as 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 hellgate's real housewife correspondent you know, gotta yeah, cracking crack knuckles, my yes. knuckles to get into this one. Well, she has <laughs> frequent frequent liker of Eleanor's posts is Leah McSweeney, who was on the last few seasons of Real Housewives in New York before the reboot. And I know she also um, was at uh, Gracie Mansion for like a Hanukkah celebration recently and posted a video of uh, Ebony K. Williams, who was on the final pre-reboot season of Real Housewives of New York. Uh, She's also been photographed with one of the Jersey housewives. So basically, Bravo would have been stupid if they did not pick up the phone and reach out to her. She would do an amazing job. But honestly, I think she is too serious about her business to do it. I don't think it would be, you know, like Ramona Singer has gotten somewhat into the real estate game. But then she says she had her racism scandal. So like, that's no good. So I think Eleanor is actually too much about her business to do something stupid, like go on the Real Housewives of New York. But... That would, you know, that would get me back in if uh, if she was if she was to make a move like that. I think she'd make amazing television. And then maybe we'd finally get Adams on Roni, you know, just just saying. <laughs> the culmination don't, don't. finally. <laughs> All right. So st- I'm getting hot. Yeah. <laughs> Eric Adams. Uh it's kind of insane, but he also has a day job, which is the mayor of New York City. Um, so we should talk a little bit about that and who he hangs out with during the day, including his chief advisor, his like kind of day one confidant slash enforcer, 
Ingrid Lewis Martin. Who is she and why is she so important? Much has been written about Ingrid Lewis Martin, who has been who has known Eric Adams for almost 40 years. Uh, her husband was an NYPD officer with Eric Adams in the 80s. She, you know, helped him run for state senator. She helped him run for Brooklyn Borough President. She was deputy borough president in Brooklyn. She has relationships with Frank Carone and lots of other people at the table. But she's, her title, um, when Eric Adams became mayor, he reportedly told Ingrid that she could choose any title or position that she wanted. And so she chose chief advisor. And so far, two years in, that has meant like she, you know, wields that authority um, in ways that like she, she's known for cutting through uh, bureaucracy and red tape. But, you know, and that's good if she's on your side and wants to do the thing that you also want to do. And it's bad if you want to do things like, you know, change the streetscape of McGinnis Boulevard or put a bike lane in in a, another part of Brooklyn, or, you know, um, put a busway in on Fordham Road. So I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave you with one sort of story that a source gave us about Ingrid, um, because it was extremely telling. Uh, and I, I will do a, a sort of dramatic reading here. Okay, so on August 2nd of this year, a group of elected officials, including a member of New York's congressional delegation, we're all on this meeting scheduled by Ingrid Lewis Martin, um, according to a person who attended. Uh, she showed up late and she zoomed in from the dentist chair. Okay. So she's zooming in from the dentist chair. After a few minutes of pleasantries, um, the member of Congress begins like forcefully asking for something that they wanted the city to do. And like a few minutes in, according to the attendee, Lewis Martin turned her camera on, cut the politician off apologized for being at the dentist and was like, I'm going on vacation. We'll deal with this later. And then ended the meeting for everyone. And this was a meeting that like multiple city council members were on, um, that the member of Congress was on. Like that is her authority uh, within city hall. She has the power to just like end meetings with members of Congress. See you later. We asked city hall about this encounter. They did not respond to us. Um, I should also note that like, Everyone we've been talking about, we reached out to them for their side of things. Some people responded, others didn't. Check out the table of success uh, for their responses. But yes, that is Ingrid in a nutshell. Also at this point, kind of point out a, a person who plays a, a bit of a similar role to her in City Hall is former lobbyist Tiffany Raspberry, who's also on the table of success, who also acts as this kind of like go-between between special interests and City Hall. Um, so this this does seem to be like, uh, a theme at the Eric Adams City Hall that people um, try to, you, people can have a lot of weight and kind of overrule, like, you know, the meritocratic system that gets stuff done in the city. Um, not, again, not saying like that's any different than any other city hall, but like there's some really direct examples of basically a powerful person or a well-connected person making a phone call and something that, you know, city civil servants spent like years working on just like getting tossed in the trash, which is really dispiriting for city workers, you know, and, and kind of plays into the fact that a lot of city workers are leaving the city. This kind of... And, and dispiriting yeah. for people who are petitioning their government to, to make their lives better only and, and like go through the entire 
tedious process to make that happen only only to have it yanked by fiat at the last minute right you don't want your children to have to cross a murder boulevard every morning like here's the 18 steps you have to go through and then if you actually successfully do that like here's the one cool trick that could stop you in your tracks um all right so we've talked uh you know basically how city hall kind of operates at this point under adams um, there's one other person who is in City Hall, but currently suspended that I w- kind of wanted to talk about, um, who is Rana Avasova, who was, um, you know, technically in charge of connecting Eric Adams uh, and City Hall to foreign governments to set up, um, you know, kind of things like flag raisings, which Eric Adams does a lot, um, and, and being kind of this emissary to international governments. She was another person who had her home raided, reportedly. Uh, by the FBI at the same time that Brianna Suggs did, and um, kind of looking into connections between Avasova and the Turkish government um, and contractors of the Turkish government, and and whether there was a straw donor scheme going on there as well. So I, I would be remiss to leave the city hall part of this conversation without briefly mentioning Rana Avasova. We had never really heard her name before this. Like a lot of people, she had started as a volunteer at Brooklyn Borough Hall, then they're on staff, and then they play this like super vital role at City Hall, and then the FBI knocks down their door. Um, but but she's notable because she is the person that reportedly told other people in City Hall to delete their text messages um, regarding who knows what after the FBI did the raid. Um, and, and that, according to the New York Post, is what led the FBI to take Eric Adams's phones um, to see if, you know, he followed through with any of the deletions or what their communications were like. So um, it's not just the campaign that is involved in this possible investigation. It's people in City Hall like Rana Abasova herself. Like many people in the story, she also mysteriously lives in Fort Lee and not Brooklyn, like she said she does, which is what the fuck is going on in fort lee i really want to know (laughs) it's not is it fun it's distinctly not fun (laughs) like it's a good view of the city um but like you're like it's not a great i don't know i've never had we should fuck it because every time i try and drive there the bridge is always crowded with people so people clearly want to go to fort lee i know king spot one of the one of the great korean korean baths of the region it's true we should yeah, Hellgate needs to go to Fort Lee to see what the hell's going on there. Travel guide. If you're enjoying this conversation, can I ask you to subscribe to Hellgate? Hellgate is a worker-owned news outlet that is powered by your subscriptions. Subscribe now at our highest level and get a brand new Hellgate tote bag. We've tested this tote bag out. You could fit so much stuff in there. It is, it is, I, I, I can barely see the bottom of this tote bag. Anyway, subscribe and now back to our conversation. So just to bring it all back home, above all else, Eric Adams is a cop. This is part of his mythos. He ran as the cop during an era of police reform. He um, draws on his experience as a cop and daily interactions he has with people. Um, this is where he gets his you know, gravitas. It's certainly not from his political career where he like did not do much of note in the state Senate or as Brooklyn Borough president. Um, it all goes back to what he did when he was a cop, the type of reforms he, you know, pursued from the inside. Um, 
And he has brought a lot of cops with him to the table of success. Uh, one of those, the most important one being Phil Banks the third. Nick, what's another name that people have for Phil Banks? Uh, well, well, Phil Banks has been named uh, by federal prosecutors for the Southern District of New York as an unindicted co-conspirator. Um, and yeah, and so you know that that's significant. You you were sort of mentioning um, the significance of of um, his his police history to Eric Adams' ascent as mayor. You know, he was elected sort of in the in the aftermath of the of the George Floyd protests, when when the city and the country were really thinking about like how how we felt about police, what our relationship to police was, and and Adams kind of like um, had this really effective pitch, kind of splitting the difference, being like, "Are you are you freaked out by by like all all the all uh, these protesters in the streets?" Um, well, not to worry. I'm I'm a police officer, but not you know not not a bad cop. I I have been trying to reform um, the excesses of this department from within for my entire career, and and I'm all about um, accountability for for police. Um, and so that's that's why it was sort of striking when one of his first acts um, as mayor was to name Phil Banks as his deputy mayor for public safety. Overseeing, um, you know, uh, it's, it's a pretty big portfolio. The the correction department, so everything that's happening on Rikers, that's that's under Phil Banks. Um, you know, the fire department, and then and then Banks also has has reportedly been really instrumental in shaping uh, the police department uh, under under Adams. He's sort of been um, by by many accounts kind of the, the shadow police commissioner, um, calling calling the shots and kind of undermining the actual police commissioner. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> who's Phil Banks? What's, what's his history? Um, he, Phil Banks was, um, an extremely senior figure in the NYPD under, under de Blasio in, in 2014, um, and was sort of shortlisted for, for commissioner, uh, and then, and then just like abruptly resigned out of, out of a, a clear sky and nobody really understood what was going on. Until a few months later, it became clear that that he was uh, tangled up in in this kind of sprawling federal corruption investigation um, involving a pair of Brooklyn businessmen um, who had, among other things, um, been been um, plying a, a medium large number of police officers with um, favors with trips uh you know that like with like private jet flights with sex workers dressed as stewardesses attending meals out with jewelry uh stuff like this um and uh and so the the investigation wound up leading to a lot of police resignations um it wound up leading to to the businessmen in question getting convicted and um it led to uh, the fall of the extremely powerful at the time head of the correction union, Norman Seabrook, and so named among the people who who were involved in this, but not actually charged, um, was Phil Banks, and and so sort of sifting through the the uh, evidence presented in in these cases, you you really see what Banks's um, involvement was. I should say, you know, Banks Banks denies any wrongdoing. Um, and, and, uh, when, when he was named to the city hall post under Adams, he, he ran a, an op-ed in the daily news, basically denying any wrongdoing. Um, though, though it should be noted that he, uh, when, when called to testify in this case, 
he uh he let everyone know that that if they did call him he would plead uh he, he would exercise his fifth amendment rights not to incriminate himself with testimony um in any case these these guys um you know they they took banks out to restaurants they took him on this incredible trip to israel and and buried in the in the prosecutor's evidence in some of these cases um, is this is this photo book that one of the businessmen made for banks of their trip to Israel that shows him like you know frolicking in the Dead Sea and like getting getting like automatic weapons training from like IDF soldiers and like climbing in and out of F sixteen cockpits stogies um, mad stogies and boat yeah, rides oh yeah yeah so many stogies yeah yeah there, there's also like a video of of these businessmen smoking stogies in in his NYPD office. Um, and so, so that's sort of the quid. And then, and then, you know, to the extent that there was a quo and, and banks disputes that, that he ever did anything in his official capacity for these guys. But, but, you know, one of them testified that they were trying to get one of, one of their other sort of favorite cops promoted and get him, get him into a, a better position. And they were sort of working banks to, to get that to happen. And, and sure enough, that, that cop got the promotion. And according to these guys, banks let, let the businessmen be the, be the ones to tell him. He, 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 he told them that the promotion was coming and they called him and, and let him know. So federal unindicted co-conspirator, uh, to, to the guy running, running the department from, from city hall, uh, under Eric Adams. That's sort of the, the bank's trajectory. Banks is, you know, tight with Eric Adams from day one, the most, tight dude from Eric Adams from day one, of course, would be one of his brothers, Bernard, who also joined the NYPD. Um, Eric Adams tried to get him a job in the administration. It didn't really work out because uh, the conflict of interest board immediately was like, yeah, I think <laughs> you're giving your brother a really high paying job. And he's like, he's really qualified. He was like a parking lot security officer. Um, Adeline, I know you just did a little bit of uh, research into, actually quite a lot of research into Bernard Adams' life. And the one thing that stuck out, and we could just go over it really quickly, is um, his involvement in an MLM. Yeah, so after after Bernard retires from the NYPD in like the mid-2000s, he moves to Virginia with his wife, Sharon, and becomes, like you said, a parking lot officer at Virginia Commonwealth University. Uh, while he has that job, he sort of like strikes up this uh, side hustle with uh, this multi-level marketing company called Legal Shield that provides legal services. I actually spoke to this guy, Fabian, who uh, said Bernard was his supervisor at VCU uh, and got him into Legal Shield, and he said it worked out great for him. What I learned to be one of the best things about uh, getting involved in the Legal Shield MLM is you can get Legal Shield to pay lease payments on a BMW. Bernard was driving a BMW, and Fabian said uh, he got to go on a lot of trips and also got his own BMW. But when his uh, big brother ascended to the mayoralty, it was time for one last job for old Bernard uh, in, <laughs> in, in back back here in Gotham. I don't know why you would leave your job, leave your position where like you were apparently part of the only MLM that works. Like he got a sweet BMW. Like that's fucking tight. <laughs> so my last question to the team on this holiday season 
is where do we think this investigation is going? What, what are, what's going to happen here? What, what are we going to find out in the coming days and weeks? I mean, I would say that we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but yeah, does anyone else feel like they have something to say? I'm just excited for the exciting uh, future additions to the table of success. Because I think that's what's been kind of fun about this project is like I personally learned about so many new, very interesting people who seem like they've been pretty important in shaping the way New York City is for like, especially during the Adams administration, but some of them for like a very, very long time. Um, And I think that's what is kind of cool about this project. But, you know, I think we're all pretty keenly aware that we don't even know everyone who's sitting at the table of success, you know? And so I think I can't say like exactly what is going to happen and I wouldn't want to, but I think, you know, we're watching the space basically. Also, I think there's just like a non-zero, there's a pretty significant chance that like nothing really happens. And like, this is just the way that New York city politics works and you're allowed to do it. And there's nothing in the rules that says a dog can't play basketball. And uh, <laughs> like, like, like I, I really like, yeah, I think there's a pretty big chance that just like five years from now, we're like, damn remember all that crazy you remember how crazy the eric adams mayoralty was whatever happened with that and it's like nothing yeah i I do think that's all correct i think what what will change is that you might start to see some people in the democratic party who otherwise were going to sit out challenging eric adams um as an incumbent for re-election you know you're going to see some people jump off the fence and enter the race. And, you know, for as long as this investigation continues, it's going to be a political sore point for the mayor. And the people who are running against him are going to be able to point to it, point to, um, you know, the, the indictment of his former DOB commissioner, Eric Ulrich, who was also at the table of success. We didn't talk about him, but like, I, I think, you know, what changed in early November and, you know, after the public learned that the the federal investigators have seized the mayor's phones is that like his opponents see that as an opening and it's, it will be interesting to see that play out. Um, because before this happened, there was almost no chance that people were going to, you know, that the mayor was going to have real credible challengers. Incumbents are normally reelected for New York City mayor. So, so this will at least make his reelection effort more challenging in that respect. And, you know, you see the poll numbers like and in polls or polls or whatever. Um, but earlier this month, you saw the poll that, you know, Eric Adams has the lowest approval rating of any mayor since the poll was started in like 1996 or something. So some of this is seeping in. It's all complicated. Um, but the public's perception is just like, come on, you know, like, wh- what is this? Um, What's going on here? Thanks so much for listening to this special two-part episode of the Hellgate podcast. We hope to keep bringing you special episodes of the podcast and maybe a more regular programming sometime in the near future. So definitely stay subscribed, keep checking us out, and you can always get your Hellgate coverage at www.hellgatenyc.com. Hellgate is me, Max Rifflin-Nadler. Adlin Jackson, Katie Way, Christopher Robbins, Nick Pinto, and Esther Wong. Our business manager is Nadia Tykolsker. This episode was produced by Ben Elman. 
You can check us out anytime. Like I said, hellgatenyc.com. We'll see you next time. <laughs>